Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Second Peter, we're in chapter 1 and we're going to read again from verse 1. Today we'll read 1 through 11 and then... We will pick up in verse 4 today. Simeon Peter, a servant, a doulos, a slave, a bond slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Hallelujah. That's us Gentiles. We've got a faith in equal standing with God's chosen people. We now are a part of God's chosen people. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May peace, or may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Now we stopped off at this verse last time. Just remember, it's His divine power that has granted to us all things that pertain to life and and, and goodness and godliness and living for Him. So He may not give us everything we want, but He will definitely give us everything that we need. And it's His own uniqueness. It's a very powerful, emphatic, His own unique personal power is what He has given us. And it's divine power, He says. So I can tell you, I will never, ever need more than God can give. I'll never need more than He can grant. It is by that divine power, and the word grant means to grant freely. I don't deserve it. He tells us in the prayer, the model prayer He gave us, He says, pray every day. Give us, Lord, this day our daily bread. Don't pay us our daily bread. We've not earned any of it. But grant it to us, give it to us, God, as a gift that we do not deserve. Verse 4, by which he is granted to us, that word again, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. He's going to give us a list here. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and then, and brotherly love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, if you are growing in them, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Powerful, powerful word. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, verse 11, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. 
I'd like to start with an important question today. If I ask you what is wrong with the world, I think probably that would be an easy question for us to answer here. What's wrong with the world is sin. Now, you might have a different word. You could have said, we don't have God or whatever. I got that. But we know the bottom line is sin. It separated us from God. And Jesus Christ came to this world. God, the creator of the universe, came into this universe, became flesh, lived and died for our sinfulness, to pay the debt of our sinfulness. But most of the world has rejected that. And he even told us that it would. And he even said, if you follow me, they hated me and they will hate you as well. And part of that has to do with the fact of just exactly what sin is. Sin is rebellion. It is not just missing the mark. And I know that harmatia is one of the words that we talk about that is a, one of the words we translate as sin from the Greek. And it does mean to miss the mark. But it don't take from that that, well, sin is... Boy, I did my best. I was just off a little. Could have been the wind that kind of blew the arrow left or, or right. I just barely off target. It's, it's just unfortunate. You know, I, I almost had it. And, and I just need Jesus to come and, and move things a little bit and tinker with my life and I should be fine. No, it, sin is not just missing the mark. It is refusing to hit the mark. That, that's what sin is. It is rebellion against God. Because he's told us here in verse 4, for by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature of God. That is the invitation that God has given us, to come and be partakers in his divine nature. But most people in the world do not care about participating in the divine nature of God. And especially in our world today, boy, you just see it expressed so much more clearly and so much more loudly. And, and people, uh, uh, boy, they are just uh, uh, a, a lot more rebellious with it, it seems, nowadays. But to participate in the nature of God would be denying myself. Jesus would say, Amen. You, you, you're getting it. That, I, I believe I said that in, in the gospel several times. And in our world today, to deny oneself, to deny my own rights and my, my own personal decisions, to give up my individuality, to, to submit to somebody else and, and to, to take on somebody else's nature, to not have my nature and my personality appreciated Boy, that is just like the end of the world. So most of the world is never, ever going to choose to participate in the divine nature of God. It's not just missing the mark. It, it's making my own mark. Deciding, well, if that mark is for you, fine. If you made the decision not to do that or you that made the decision to dedicate your life to this or that that's up to you but 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 I think God and this is where these religious lost people come in religious lost people would say but I think God appreciates my individuality and 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 if he hadn't wanted me to fulfill these desires whether they may be listed as an abomination in scripture he wouldn't have given me these desires and and there's all kinds of ways to try to validate that kind of thinking and authenticate that and make it uh, make it just a, a, a personal thing between you and your Jesus but I can tell you all of that is refuted in scripture his invitation is come and participate in my divine personality I love the song we just sang and thank you pastor glad to have you home and Miss Brenda. But I, I can tell you, 
The Sermon on the Mount occurs in Luke and it occurs in Matthew. And there's a lot of differences in Matthew's account and Luke's account. Not con- not, they're not contrary to each other or contradict each other. But Luke's account is much shorter. Matthew's is much longer, of course. But they both begin with the Beatitudes and they both end with that illustration right there. That parable about building your house on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation on which to build to have eternal life. Now, that sounds like old hat to us. But I am amazed in our world today how many people who would consider themselves Christians who believe that but you can believe in something else and that's okay. That is not okay. As a matter of fact, listen carefully to this. If you believe that someone can believe in someone else or something else and have eternal life, then you don't know who Jesus is. Maybe I need to repeat that. If you believe, you might go, well, I believe in Jesus Christ, of course, but I think people on the other side of the world over there, if they want to believe in something else, that's fine. And Muslims, you know, they believe in Allah and blah, blah, blah. And Hindus, they believe in everybody. And Buddhists don't believe in anybody. But I just believe that, you know, they're all fine. But now for me personally, Pastor, don't worry. <laughs> My faith in Jesus Christ. You don't know Jesus Christ. There's no way you can say, I put my faith and trust in Him and that He is the only foundation if you believe there are a ton of others. You are renouncing, denouncing, denying your own salvation when you say, well, I'm a Christian, but and I got saved this way. Boy, I remember a crazy class, some of you, uh, with uh, uh, it, that went to... Uh, got a religious degree or a degree in religion or whatever uh i'm trying to get one in talking but but you might have had that class if you went to a liberal enough school like i did you did christ across cultures oh we call him jesus but they might call him buddha they might call him uh whatever it may be allah we call him god they call him allah Blah, 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 all of it's fine, all paths lead up the mountain and they all come out in the same place. That is not what Jesus taught us from his own lips. He denied that. And don't look at me like, well, that's how you see it. Don't worry about how I see it. Because how I see it doesn't matter. But here's a news flash. How you see it doesn't matter either. It's what God says about it that matters. And that's all that matters. Man. But we live in a world that's in total denial of all of that. One thing to remember about this worldly kingdom. It always looks outside itself. If, if, if you ask the world what's What's wrong with the world? Some would say immediately, climate change. See, that's not in here. That's out there. Others would say the economy. I saw the other day they were asking people, if you won this new lottery, what would, what would you do with all of that money? I'd just go buy groceries twice and fill up the tank. Yeah, it, it's, it's incredible. That's a problem. But you see how they identify something that's out there. It's not in here. They might say racism, but they don't realize they're, they're talking about how racism affects me as an individual. They don't see it as a heart issue. They see it as something that there needs to be laws. There needs to be legislation. There needs to be rule changes. There needs to be equity. There needs to be all of these things. They don't see it. It is a sin problem, and it is a problem that is inside here. 
about as personal as most people get is that maybe it was your upbringing. You're still blaming it on somebody else. And all of us, yeah, we had problems, a lot of us, I don't say all of us, a lot of us had uh, issues in our upbringing. But remember, we're part of Adam's family, and that was a really weird crowd to be a part of. Adam's family is full of sinners, just like all of us were. And so I can tell you, a lot of things have happened to us, but my problem and my life was not how I was raised. It was not abandonment as a young child. No, my problem is I was a sinner lost and on my way to hell. I could blame it on everything else. Wouldn't do me much good. He talks about here the kingdom of God. Versus the kingdom of the world. Being a part of the kingdom of God. It's this world, man. It's, it, it, it is amazing. One of the things that I was thinking about this week. The, the word love. You remember that great group of theological minds known as the Beatles. Wrote a song, All We Need Is What? Yeah, you old too, ain't you? All we need is love, Miss Ursula. Love is all we need. Don't make me sing it. Love. And in our world today, especially with all of the depraved sexuality that's going on, it's, it's everything is love. And, and here's the deal. Love is love. Whatever it is. And love is always good and love is always love. And, and guys like me just need to get over it. Do you know the Bible doesn't teach that? I, I, I know that's not a shock to a lot of you. But the Bible says there's some kinds of love that are downright demonic. They're sinful kinds of love. First John 2.15. And you're going to notice through this out this sermon series i'm reading a lot of scripture from a lot of places but i that that that's part that's not an accident because i'm finding out that the more i hear of this new progressive version of christianity and all of that this watered down gospel that paul says is not really a gospel people are arguing with what the bible itself says So I want us to take a look at what the Bible says. I want us to get beyond, well, you know, the way I see it, it doesn't matter. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world. There's some things not to love. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Any part of that overly complicated for us? For all that is in the world. All? I mean, surely not all. No. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And it's not that you are saved because you do the will of God. You do the will of God because you are saved. And don't forget that. 2 Timothy 4.10 Paul mentions an old friend named Demas. For Demas was in love with this present world and he has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. In love with this present world. It was just more than Demas could stand. He did well for a while. He stood with me for a while, but Boy, they kept inviting him to the parties. They kept wondering why he wasn't coming to the barbecues and getting all slobbery drunk and yeah, hanging out with the boys and, 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 and he just got to missing it too much and, 
He was just in love with, with this world. James 4, 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. One of the Boy, goals of progressive liberal Christianity nowadays is to become friends with the world. To become friends with the world. Well, that's how we're going to reach them, Pastor, is we uh, become friends with them. And and, and I'm not saying don't don't love them. You've got to love them, but understand what love is. If someone is drowning and all you're doing is standing on the dock going, hey, you're, you're doing good, man. I know, I know you've already gone under four times and you look blue. But you, you are a great swimmer, man. I'm, I'm not about to, you know, I, most people swim differently. They, they swim, you know, toward the bank. But, but I'm not going to put down the way you swim. You swim your way, we swim our way. Problem is, he dies. And you said you loved him. No, you didn't love him. You loved you. And you loved that feeling you got. It's a narcotic, an emotional narcotic. When you feel inclusive. When you feel like you love people Preacher Mike don't love. See, one, you don't know Preacher Mike. And you don't love them. You love you, and you love that feeling you get. Oh, it's powerful to feel like I'm inclusive. I'm telling you, I just, I love everybody. I, I love what Dr. Balkum does. I think I've told you this before. But, see, we're all getting old, so I repeat myself because I forgot I said it. But some of you are old, and you forgot I said it, so. But Dr. Balkum started a sermon out one time. You can find it online. He said, I love wife beaters. And he wasn't talking about the t-shirts. I love wife beaters. Vody Balkum. You ought to listen to him. I love wife beaters. I got friends that are wife beaters. They beat their wife. And I, 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 I love them. I, I've always been friends with them. I've hung out with People who beat their wives. And he goes on and on about it a little bit. And of course, you know, people, everybody knows that he's about to make a point, and he really does. He said, Every sermon I hear nowadays on homosexuality starts out like that. Instead of starting out saying, This is a sin, it's an abomination against God, and calling it what the Bible says, he says, Preachers start out with, Well, I know gay people, I love gay people, I've got gay friends, on. Oh, no. He said, It's the only sin we do that with. And I think he's right. I'm not saying not to love everybody, but make sure you know what love is. And quit standing there feeding your emotions while people perish that you could give the truth. Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Remember how Jesus talked about love and hate? There's no like to it. You either love one and hate the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or mammon. You can't have two masters and you can't say, well, I have one master, but I kind of like this idea or I kind of, I'm fond of this religion or, or I'm okay with something that, that, that is a sin in, in the eyes of scripture, but, but, but I, I still love God. He says that is impossible. Back to verse 4 again. He says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Why is the world corrupt? Because of sinful desires. Humans either regenerate or degenerate. We do one of the two. And at 
death, the process of decay or corruption, this word here, means moral rot. It begins. And when we are dead in our trespasses and sin, it is a process that the longer we stay that way, the more we rot. But don't forget his main point. He is saying the corruption of this world is here. Why? Because of sinful desire. Not because we've had a cultural evolution. Not because that we've had intellectual developments take place. And now we're not as narrow-minded as the old Bible thumpers used to be. Not that we've had an advancement in our culture or a sophistication of thought. That's not why our culture looks like it does right now. He said it is because of sinful desire. The word sinful desire translated here in the ESV is epithumos. Thumos means heat. It's also one of the words for anger. But epithumos is a word we translate lust. Because epi here means to focus upon the heat. Oh yeah. We call it love. Paul, or Peter says it is epithumos. It is sinful desire. It is a desire that is on fire from hell. And it lights up the flesh and it just takes over the mind and the thought processes and it is like a blazing fire that is out of control i've not heard this in a long time but i would say especially to the younger generation don't ever start fires that you cannot put out oh well i I know You start out holding hands, and that's like electric. Sitting in church, reach over there. Took you three Sundays to get up enough nerve to do it. You finally took her by the hand. Little girlfriend you got. Man, you heard it. Galaxies exploded. When your hand touched hers. But after a while of that, you just get sweaty hands. So then you went for the old arm move. (laughs) I remember I was at my brother-in-law's house who was in heaven with the Lord. I hope he's hearing this. He'll get a good laugh. One of the first times I dated Loretta, early in our relationship, I'm telling you, I was... I scared to death. I had never dated as a Christian. I didn't know how you did that. So, man, I was scared to death of everything. First time I kissed her, I walked off the porch and about broke my leg. Yeah. Twisted my ankle so badly. It was just burning. I walked onto the car like, I'm fine. (laughs) I mean, big blue knot in my sock. Oh, no, I'm good. I did the old stretch move one time over my brother-in-law's house. I left my arm back there, and my brother-in-law could have killed him. I saw that. I saw that. You put your arm around her. Oh, embarrassed the life out of me. But I can tell you, it's how it starts. And then that old thermometer just kind of goes on up. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you say, well, Pastor, then what should we do and should we not do? I, all I can tell you is this. Do not start fires you cannot put out. Because you get to a certain point in that relationship. And everything's boring but sin. It's tough. Well, then he goes on to tell us, verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. 
Oh, we're going to learn about supplements. They're very popular nowadays. There's some supplements for our faith. Now, understand something. Human effort is indispensable, but it is also inadequate. There are things that we have to do not to be saved, but because we are saved. There's some volition on our part that takes place here. And so, but it doesn't make us saved. It doesn't make us more saved. It is a sign that we are saved. So we're born again. And then he says there are seven necessities you're going to need in your life for a godly life. And he lists them here. First of all, virtue. Virtue comes from a word called, that we would translate another way, moral worth. The Greek philosophers used to use this word to talk about the fulfillment of a thing. So when I am doing what God called me to do in the way in which God called me to do it, and I am fulfilling the will of God in my life, that is this word, virtue. And it brings about something in my life that has moral value to it. It is doing what God called me to do and being who God called me to be. And he won't always call you to do what's easy. He's never going to call you to do what you can do without him. A lot of times I think we feel like, boy, this is a, a good fit for me. Or, boy, I just, I, man, that just had my name on it right from the start. That, that's what I've always wanted to do. Thank you, Lord. I'm not saying that God won't lead you through some paths that are, that are not so challenging, but I can tell you, when it comes down to where God really wants you to go, it will always be somewhere that you cannot go and something you cannot do without Him. It's like the fruit of the Spirit. It's not polishing your good human qualities and trying to make them better. No, no, no. It's the fruit, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not my fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are not fruits that I bring about. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. I, I guess you could say I just have the dirt, but it's the Spirit of God in me that brings those things about in my, in my life. So it's, it's not about it's not about me giving my talents, so to speak, to the Lord. It's me giving my everything to the Lord. I told the new members class this morning, man, we had 12 in the new members class this morning. Pastor Deese will be teaching starting next week. I told on him a little bit today after he left he was in there being a servant like he always is, making sure I had everything I needed. When he walked out of class, I was talking with the class afterwards about God calling us to do difficult stuff. I said, you know, there was a man one time I walked up to, and I just asked him would he mind teaching sometime. And uh, what a great illustration right here. That's the color his face turned. Right there. I don't know where the blood went. Not in his head. And apparently not in his tongue because he... What? Now he is one of the pastors of Cornerstone Fellowship. And let me tell you, he's a good one. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes, sir. See, God... And, you know, after the fact, he tells me all this about how God had called him 20 years prior. It was almost like the day I walked up to him, I just lit the fuse that kind of had smoldered a while. But it was like, oh, no, it's finally caught up with me. The call of God is still on my life, yes. And God is still wanting him to do things that may not be easy for him to do. But I can tell you, with God, you can do whatever and go wherever God leads you to go. He likes to show out. It's called glorifying himself, showing who he is.
Man. So, for this reason, make every effort to supplant your life with this virtue. Doing what God's called you to do. Now, now let me just ask you this. Maybe you don't know yet what God's called you to do. There's a reason I think a lot of us may not know. And part of that reason is there's a New Testament principle that says obedience and submission must come first. Uh, Jesus said, John 7, 17, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. They were questioning the authority of Jesus. And Jesus says, well, here's the problem. If you're waiting till I prove to you that I am God, you will never, ever follow me. It takes submission and obedience up front. And then you will understand what I am teaching. Another great passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's how you worship God, by presenting yourself to Him. Okay? It's not through singing, being part of the praise team. It, it, it is not through any of those kind of musical things that we have equated with worship. That's an expression of worship. But worship is presenting yourself to God as a living sacrifice. He says, that's how you worship me. And then in verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Doing the will of God and knowing the will of God starts, first of all, with God, here I am. So many times in the Old Testament, God would call someone, here I am, here I am. Abraham, here I am. A little different than Adam. Where are you? Well, I hid myself. Here I am, God. Here I am. You see, man, we first of all have to say, God, I don't know where and I don't know how. But I know what you're calling me to do. And I'm willing to do it. And the how and the where can come later. But you have me, God. You have me. A lot of people have never figured out what God wants them to do with their life because they've not given him their life yet. And some people would see this as smart. Well, you need to know. I mean, you need to be able to figure out his finances that you've got to consider and all of that. And yeah, that, all of that, I'm not saying is not important, but I can tell you, to know what God really wants you to do, the first step in that is before you know what to do, you go, God, here I am. I loved it when Philip was preaching a smoking hot revival in Samaria, people getting saved left and right. My goodness. And God goes to Philip, says, go to the desert road down at Gaza. <laughs> Philip didn't go, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm here preaching and you're blessing the Lord and people are getting saved. He didn't tell him what he was going to do. He just said, go. And when he got there, he found out what God wanted him to do. But that's how we have to give ourselves. He says, be a living sacrifice. Now, when you sacrifice something, that is death. So understand that. Sacrifices don't ever wander off. They're dead. They don't ever become disinterested. It doesn't matter. They have no interest. And they don't decide that, well, this is just over the top. Golly, this is real fire. And you're really going to slay me. 
I'm really about to die on this altar for God. This is, this is really getting real. This is going to affect my family, my paycheck. It's going to affect my livelihood. There's a lot of people to consider here, God. He says, no, when you die, none of that will be a problem. But it's also a living sacrifice, which means I am on the altar no matter where I go. I don't go I'm sent. I don't tell I'm told. I have to belong to him. Verse 6, and knowledge with self-control. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed knowledge. Virtue with knowledge. We've talked about knowledge a lot already, though. This is more of an intimate knowledge with God. It is learning more about him and understanding him better. And then with this knowledge, because he's going to talk about it 13 times, we'll get a lot of the knowledge. Knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. Self-control, man. In Proverbs sixteen thirty-two, it says, "He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that can rule his spirit than he who can take a city." He that hath no rule over his own spirit, Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight. Is like a city that is broken down without walls. Man. In our world today, I think we think that anger and a loss of self-control is some kind of, I don't know, virtue. I hear people say in the world a lot, you don't want to see me angry. That's a warning. I'm really awesome when I'm angry. No. (laughs) You're not really awesome. When you get angry, I I can tell you right now, boy, it does something to you. It clouds your mind. It clouds your judgment. Man, life. These road rage incidences that we're seeing and the things that people do when they lose their temper. If you lose self-control, my friend, that does not make you stronger. So, I wouldn't say to you, you don't want to see me angry. I I would say, rather, you don't want to see me stopping somebody from kidnapping one of my grandkids. Now, that's when I go full Bruce Lee. Okay? (laughs) But anger won't make me stronger. And more collected, anger makes me crazy. Anger makes me foolish. And you can't look at other people and go, well, they made me angry. No, they didn't make you angry. Any more than kicking a skunk will make him stink. It'll make you stink. He already stunk. It was already in him. You just brought out what was already there. So don't say, I made you angry. I just brought out what was already there. The pressure of life squeezed you hard enough and out it came. Anger just running everywhere. The world didn't make you angry. Just brought out what was already there. And he says also, self-control with steadfastness. The word for steadfast here is Eusebia. Some of you will remember Eusebius, who was a historian in the early church. But the word Eusebius, you is a word for good, like eulogy is good words, lagos. Eusebia is an odd word, kind of, in the Greek that means to worship well. Proskuneo is not part of it, but sebia is another word for worship, to worship well. In other words, steadfastness is one of the ways that my life shows the value of God. When I hang in there, when I'm steadfast and I worship God well, when people see my priorities, they'll know what place God has in my life. I don't have to tell them. You know, some people think it's a big deal to put on a t-shirt that says, I'm a Christian. You won't need one if you're a Christian. 
You won't need to put stained glass in the car. <laughs> you, 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 they'll know. Your priorities. You worshiping well. That'll, that'll show them who God is in your life. The way you give. The way you give. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, I know there's a certain percentage. That it, it, it belongs to God and I make sure He gets it. That's fine and all, but I want to tell you, when He really gets you, you'll realize, no, there is all of it and it all belongs to God. Whether it's money or time, the way I make decisions is the way I worship well. When I make decisions that honor God, the way I spend my time, it tells you where God is in my life. Not standing and testifying tells you where God is in my life. I'm going to close here. Had a brother this morning, I'm not going to say who, he wouldn't care, but I'm not saying Shared a testimony in our prayer time about the loss of a job, but man, rejoicing. How do you do that? Well, if you worship God well, you say things like, but God's got it. It was His will, and I feel like God's got His hands all over me. I'm not in despair. Matter of fact, I'm kind of glad it happened. And he's already moving on to the next phase in his life. When you can do that, when you've got a peace about things like that, things that you shouldn't have a peace about, things that would cause despair in most, but in you, you have a peace that doesn't make sense. That's called Eusebia. Worshiping well. It's how people know where God is in our life. Man. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for what God is teaching us through Second Peter. I'm so thankful for what He's done in my life. I, God knew I needed this. I've... I've I tell you, I grow weary sometimes. I'm pretty transparent with you, maybe more so than I should be. But it says in our Constitution and bylaws that we are to be transparent to the point of vulnerability. So sometimes I may give you more information than you want to know about me. That's all right. I grow weary with this old world sometimes. Innocent people, brutalized. Brutalized. Man. Just killed for nothing. Robbed. Flash mobs that just go in and overwhelm an entire store. And what is done about it, nothing. Nothing. And the corruption and Washington and all of that. Sometimes it just... It weighs heavy on me. But I'll tell you what God has helped me to do. Through the study of this that that began a while back, God has helped me to rejuvenate and refocus on Him. And I hear a lot of stuff crashing and burning behind me. But I've had to turn my focus on Him and realize and know this old world is doing exactly what God said it would do. And realize as long as I love him, they're never going to love me. They're never going to love me. They're going to hate me because they hated him. And I don't wear that as a badge because I don't like to be hated. I like to be liked. Yeah. But I have to love him. It's helped me. I hope it's going to help all of us as a church to come together. Our crowds are growing. We've got some new members that are coming on. We've got a lot of people in the last two weeks that have been out with sickness and different things. But God is blessing us with good 
crowds of people. Our church is growing. Our finances are being blessed by God. I'm just praising the Lord. So church, let's just, you and I, come together in the name of the Lord and get closer as brothers and sisters than ever before. Pray harder for your pastor. You ever heard that old saying, I think we need a new pastor? Somebody said, well, pray for the one you got and you'll have a new one. Pray harder for me than ever. Pray harder for all these pastors. Pray for each other. Let's get closer. Let's break away some from the world and be more faithful and dedicated to our times together than we've ever been. And let's learn to love on each other and to care for one another and to lift each other up. To encourage one another. Don't don't take that for granted. We need encouragement. Encourage one another. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for reaching down to us old Gentiles and not only saving us, but Lord, then you sent us a letter through Peter telling us what to do to hang on giving us encouragement and instructions, God, as to how to handle a cruel, old, sick, dead world. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to the end. Until you call us home, Lord, I pray that we would worship you well. Help us, God. Help us to be closer as a family than ever before. I pray, Father, that you would help us to focus on you The voices outside of us, Lord, are so loud. And it's so dramatic what we see in the world. God, I pray you'll help us to keep our eyes on you. And to keep building on that one firm foundation, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.